and thank you for tuning into the Business and Wealth Show with your host, Matt Catrum. Let's go. Hey, thank you for joining us. Now, if you already haven't downloaded and used the Business Growth Quiz, you are missing out. If you're not sure where you are, where you need to focus your energy, your time and energy and money in into your business in order to grow it, check out the businessgrowthquiz.me, M-E, businessgrowthquiz.me. That will give you an idea of, okay, this is where I am. This is what I need to do. You get a free report from me saying, work on this and you'll move forward. So I hope that's useful to you. Well, I just want to welcome Craig Andrews. Craig has an inspirational story that you must hear. So stay and listen to everything he has to say. Above all, outside of his inspirational stories, we are going to be talking about, listen very carefully, how do you get them to buy? Rather than you trying to sell, 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 how do you create an environment that they want to, they are keen to buy from you? That's what we're talking here. So pay attention, share some um, comments as well, share some likes, share with your with uh, your, your colleagues, your associates, your friends as well. Craig, I want to say thank you to the uh, and welcome to the Business and Wealth Show. Thank you. Mac, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. My absolute pleasure. I know you're coming in all the way from Austin, Texas to join us. So thank you. Thank you very much. So let's get into this. I wanted to talk, I often ask people to tell us about their entrepreneurial background. So what is your entrepreneurial background? Very briefly, then I want to go into some of these elements that we just talked about. Yeah. So at the earliest stage, it was in the sixth grade. I, um, I took water soluble markers and I drew little images on pieces of paper and I was selling them as tattoos at the back of the classroom. Uh, the teacher thought I was being artistic when she found out I was running a business, she shut me down. And <laughs> so that was my first entrepreneurial uh, venture. Uh, the, you know, I, I ended up um, working for corporate America. I worked for uh, Ericsson back when they still made mobile telephones mm. and uh, worked for a couple other companies. And uh, while still having sort of the entrepreneurial bug, and uh, about 2009, launched out on my own and uh, started my own gig and uh, been at it for a bit. And uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride, harder than I expected, but uh, very, very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. That not that the entrepreneur journey? Harder than you, you can imagine, but rewarding in the sense that you're probably like me, would never work for someone else again because <laughs> you, you like the creativity, you like the, to helping other people. So great. Thank you for that. Now, tell us, there was a moment in your life where six weeks have gone missing. What happened? Yeah, we're actually on the uh, the two-year anniversary of that time. Uh, so I got sick with COVID, and it was the Delta variant of COVID, which was a particularly nasty variant. And... Uh, for 11 days, I, you know, so I got sick, uh, 11 days after I got sick, had to go to the hospital because I wasn't getting better. And when another 11 days in the hospital, uh, going through a number of exercises, body positioning, and what have you to keep my oxygen level high enough. Uh, so the, uh, the staff went and rushed 
into my room and you know freak out because um you know if my oxygen saturation dropped below 86 percent uh that was apparently bad hmm well on the 11th day in the hospital they said hey we're going to give you something to help you sleep uh i wish i knew that was going to be an armful of morphine because i probably would have rejected that wow. uh but when that happened i i quit fighting and the doctors called my wife in the middle of the night um for permission to put me on the ventilator and it was something both of us had talked about did not want because that that was a death sentence with the delta variant if you went on the ventilator you died right. that's what happened right i remember and um and they um they coerced my wife to put me on the ventilator and it was and then promptly told her that I was going to die anyway. Uh, they even had her meet with hospice to plan the day where they were going to pull the plug. Terrible. And, um, but, you know, eventually I didn't die. Um, and what's interesting was I was actually the very first person to leave that uh, ICU intensive care unit. That's uh, what we call it here in the U.S., I was the very first person to leave that intensive care unit alive. And wow. you would think it would be something they would celebrate, but they didn't. And they transferred me to a another hospital. Um, and and it was sort of in the second week at that hospital that I started waking up and becoming more coherent. Uh, but even for the first couple of weeks I was awake, that my brain was completely scrambled. But what was really interesting was during those six weeks, something, there was a transformation. My trust in the doctors when I woke up had completely plummeted while my trust in my wife had gone through the roof. And it's not that I didn't trust my wife before, but in the six weeks of my coma, my trust in her just skyrocketed. And it was funny, the doctors would come around, they would want to do something, they'd say, you know, they'd want to do some procedure. And as I mentioned, my brain was still clouded and I was reacting from instinct. And my instinct said, don't trust them. Hmm. And so they, anytime they asked, they would, I would say no. So they would go to my wife and they would ask her and she'd come to me and say, the doctors want to do this. And I'd look at her and say, is it safe? And she said, yeah. And okay. then she would get permission. But, and, and the irony is, when I look at the things they were asking now, you know, a couple of years later with clear mind, they weren't doing anything radical. It was all very reasonable. And with a clear mm. mind, I would have said yes. But my trust in them during that coma dropped so much that I um I just went off to instinct and I said no. Right. And how did you I want to ask, how did you pull out of that? Because how long it's two years since, right? And yes. now you are, you know, you're back on your feet again. You've got this new lease of life. What does that mean to you as an entrepreneur with this new lease of life now? Um, you know, it's a really interesting question. And this taps into a, a few things. One, I, I'm you know enormously grateful um, you know, to have more time with my wife. You mm. know, I didn't want to leave her alone. Uh but from a business standpoint, once my mind did clear up, my wife started telling me what had happened while I was out. And it turns out my team ran the business without me. Perfect. Freelancers came in, 
and said, uh, reached out to my team, said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. And so in when I look at the new lease on life, I, I look at it from the perspective of, I realized I was making an impact greater than I thought. Mm. And so one of the things I've done with that is I've, I've actually launched my own podcast uh, called Leaders and Legacies, where we celebrate everyday leaders for the impact they're making in the others. And so that's one of the things I'm doing with this new lease on life. Nice. Well, well, good for you. And and it's good to hear that your team stepped in. They kept the four, you know, kept it going. And you came back, you was making a difference. Clearly, there was some kind of legacy there that they knew how to get this thing going. I want to get into, you know, one of the reasons why we wanted to speak to you is how do you get people to buy instead of selling, selling, selling? What is the framework for that? Yeah, so this came as a matter of necessity uh, to put food on the table. I'm not a gifted salesperson. Mm. And so I took different sales trainings and what have you. And I, you know, I would ask the questions, I'd do the scripts, and I always felt a little dirty when I was doing it. And uh, and it didn't work. You know, mm -hmm. not only did I feel dirty, but it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I gotta do something. And uh, I started playing around with an idea. It's it's something, you know, in its simple form, it's something that's been around for years. It's the concept of a loss leader. Mm -hmm. uh, there used to be a record club when, you know, when albums were popular the first time, there was a record club in the U.S. called Columbia House Records, where they would sell you 13 albums for a penny. Mm -hmm. So if you're the type of person that wants to build a record collection, you you give them one penny, they get you 13 steps closer to your goal. It's hard to say no. Nice, yep. So that's what we would call a simple offer. And I put together offers like that for my business and it didn't work. So it turns out that you need a complex offer, you know, com complex loss leader to lead to a high ticket complex sale. And so let me, let me give you an example of one that uh, we didn't design this offer, but I like it because everybody can immediately understand it. And this particular offer makes a really powerful point. There was a gentleman by the name of Bob Stupak that bought a dumpy old hotel at the end of the Vegas Strip. And you would know that hotel today by the Strat or the Stratosphere. But way back, it was a dumpy old hotel. He bought it. He called it Bob Stupak's Vegas World. Right. And he ran a special and he said, give me $396 and I will give you three days and two nights in one of my deluxe suites. When you arrive, there will be a bottle of champagne waiting for you in your room. All of your drinks on property are free, whether you're gambling or not. Okay. Even if you're sitting in one of the entertainment lounges, you pay nothing more for your drinks. Not only that, but for $396, I will give you $600 of chips to use in my casino. <laughs> That's kind of irresistible, right? <laughs> Almost. It's very irresistible if you're somebody that likes drinking and gambling. I told right. this I told this offer literally to somebody one hour ago. And when I told it, her face like crumpled up like a, a dried prune. Mm -hmm. Um she apparently really hates gambling. And but see, if you think about it, Bob Stupak knew 
that his most profitable customers were the people that liked to drink and gamble. If he could get somebody into the casino, he was about to make a lot of money. And if he could get them drinking in the casino, he was going to make a whole lot of money. And so Bob Stupak would make the most amount of money when every room in his hotel was filled with people that like to drink and gamble. Right, right. And so let me throw this in there. Yes, uh, uh, in retail, they call that a loss leader. So I don't know the profitability of, uh, of, of Bob's business. Uh, but yeah, can you expand on that a little bit more? What is the difference between that and what you do? Or is there similarities? Because yeah, I think you have something called a first-time offer. Is that right? Yes, we call it a first-time offer. And for us, uh, so we originally developed for us, we're you know, a marketing agency, and we need to sign clients. And the, the usual process is they you know, you get a prospect, you start talking to them, eventually they ask you for a proposal. You end up sinking 20, 30 hours into this opportunity. And at least for me, very few of those opportunities came through to business. So what I do is I structure a mini project and a mini project that delivers somewhere in the ballpark of $5,000 of legitimate value. You know, not, not my mom looked at me and said, hey, you're really smart. Somebody should pay you a lot of money. This is $5,000 of street value, but we sell it for $497. And so the idea is, mm. one, anybody with any decision-making authority in an organization can spend $500 without approval. Nobody's going to hunt them down and hold them accountable for that money. Yeah. It's We're removing barriers to engagement. The um, other thing is... Um, the other thing is, you know, if you're talking to a business owner, they don't have to calculate when you deliver so much value like Bob Stupak's offer. Did at some point you're just like, yes, where, where, where do where, I sign? Where, where do I sign? Where do I send my money? <laughs> yeah. So for us, it's, you know, we, we do little um, mini projects. And one of the things that we try to accomplish in the mini project, and we're accomplishing a lot in these, but one of them is, we try to change people's belief system. So if you think about it, one of the barriers that keeps somebody from buying from you is they have a broken belief system. Yeah. You know they have a broken belief system. They do not. They believe their belief system is perfectly fine. Right. But you know you can't get them to buy until they change until you change their belief system. Hmm. There are elements of the belief system you can change in the sales conversation, but there are also elements you can't change. And you need more time. You need a different environment. That's some of what we're doing during the mini project is we're leading them into a process of self-discovery where all of a sudden they discover, oh, wait a minute, I didn't realize this. This is a problem. I must change it. And when it's self-realization on their own part, that's where the sale becomes really powerful. That's creating the environment where they want to buy. Instead of me trying to persuade them of, that they have this problem, if I can create the environment where they experience the self-revelation uh, of that, now they have an urgency to buy because they now have pain. They have internal pain. This is broken in my life. I need this to be fixed. Can you fix it? Wow. Okay. And and I love that. And is that through um, a sales page, a video sales letter? Is that you speaking to them on the phone or on Zoom or 
Can it work across the board? So we do it. Uh, we do three workshops for mm. ours. It used to be two. I, I recently expanded it to three. And there's some science behind that as well. But we typically do these workshops over Zoom. And, and that's one of the critical elements of these first-time offers is there has to be at least one workshop where they are primarily, you know, there, there should be a minimum of three, a maximum of five deliverables. Bob Stupak's offer had four. Okay. And yeah, so less than three is underwhelming. Um, more than five overwhelms the brain, confounds the brain a little bit too much. Um, and I'm starting to lean away from saying three to five and leaning more around four or five. Right. Uh, you know, just the more that I do this, that I'm, I think I need to quit saying three. It's really more like four or five. But the, um, but one of those deliverables has to be the product of a co-working session where they feel primarily responsible for the deliverables. They feel like it was their ideas that went into the deliverables, not your ideas. Right. <laughs> and there's a couple of reasons for that. One uh, is it triggers a couple of cognitive biases. Uh, the IKEA effect and the endowment effect are both triggered when you do that. And both of those effects result in people uh, placing more value in that work product than if it had just been handed to them. Hold on. What's the IKEA effect? Did you say did endowment? Endowment. Yeah. Exp explain that. Yes. Yeah, so uh, IKEA effect, you know, IKEA just came up with this idea, hey, we're going to make cheap furniture and put it in boxes so people can pick it up in their automobiles and drive it home. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they discovered very much by chance that when they got home and they assembled the furniture and they would query them about what they felt and how much they valued the furniture, their perceived value of that furniture was higher than the real value of the furniture because they, they, had, together. they had invested labor in it. Wow. Okay. Great concept. I like that. And it's, you know, it's one of the reasons we don't kill our kids when they're annoying is we've invested so much in them. <laughs> very true. I hear that. The, um, you know, it's, um, but the endowment effect is we value things more highly that we own than things that we don't own. Yes. And so there was a guy named Dan Ariely. He's a presently a professor. I think he's still a professor at Duke University in the United States. And he ran a little test where um, people camp out on the lawn for weeks uh, to be entered in a lottery to win basketball tickets to Duke basketball games. Okay. <laughs> and so he took one group of people that had camped out on the lawn and won the tickets. And mm -hmm. he took another group of people who did exactly the same activities, but did not win the tickets. And he tried to buy tickets from the people who had won them. And the, their, the price they were willing to sell them for was over a thousand dollars. Nothing under a thousand would they even consider it. Mm. Then he went to the people who did the same activities but did not win the tickets, and he tried to sell them tickets, but the most they would pay was three hundred dollars. Same ticket, same activity. The only thing that changed was the sense of ownership. Once they owned it, right. once they had a sense of ownership, their right. perceived value of it was higher. And so when you're sitting there in a workshop, actually, building something with somebody interesting and they feel like their their fingerprints are on there where they've built it they've constructed it their perceived value of that work product is higher it's higher 
the great, great, great explanation there. So some would argue then that if I help them to build it and discover it themselves, then that means they don't need me. Ah, yeah, but quite the opposite. Right. Tell us about that, because that, that's the impression some people say, if I, if I give them all this and they can figure out, put a jigsaw pieces together and they know what, they, what the gaps are, they can go and figure it out themselves. Yeah. And the reality is, if you're an expert in what you're doing, you're bringing unique value to them that they hadn't seen before. And as they're going through it, if you have that structured right, they're going to have new revelations. It's going to change their belief system. Remember, we were talking about that broken belief system. And it can be a, it can be a rewarding moment where they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I finally see this. But it can also be a terrifying moment of how do I move forward? And all of a sudden, you become the sole source supplier for whatever need it is that's about right. to be fulfilled. Because you're the one that brought it to them. You're the one that revealed it to them. And while, yes, from the expert standpoint, I mean, I talk about these offers all the time and I have have the whole process published. And I think sometimes, am I giving away too much? But then I watch people take exactly what I tell them to do and completely screw it up. There is value in the expert. In the expert. Got it, got it, got it. So in this, thank you for that. In, In this process, what kind of closing ratio are we looking at? We get people onto a Zoom webinar call. We give them some education. We show them or they get to understand where the gaps are. Uh, and, and then obviously, clearly, we, we offer them something. What kind of ratio are we talking about for free, uh, the first time offer process? Yeah. So when we get somebody on a discovery call, at the end of the discovery call, Half of the people we're talking to are now customers or clients. Wow. Half. Now, that's for the low price offer. Uh And actually, I have no desire to raise that above half because if you're getting any volume of leads coming through as discovery calls, these are not all qualified leads. And we use the first-time offer as a filtering mechanism and you know, so one of the things that we des- we call it a scarecrow. We design a scarecrow in into the offer that is intentionally there to scare off the nine ideal clients. Wow. The ideal clients don't even see the scarecrow because it they it, that doesn't scare them. And you know, so for Bob Stupak's offer, I told you about that. You got clearly excited. I think you were probably wondering, is that offer still on the table? Mm. And the person I told it to just an hour ago, her face got all crumpled up. The scarecrow is the gambling. If you're not a gambler, it's not an interesting offer. Right. right. Got it. That's the scarecrow. And, you know, it's not a moral thing or what have you. I just don't like gambling. So it's not a compelling offer to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't gamble. I don't like gambling. But my face lit up was from a, an entrepreneur's perspective, from a business owner's perspective, that's genius. And so why I lit up was, oh, how can I use the same concept in my businesses? <laughs> so yeah. for me, that's the perspective I was coming across. Um, so thanks for, for enlightening us on that. Um, yeah, con- continue. You were talking about the... Um, the. So anyway, the yeah, so we use the first-time offer as a filter. Hmm. You know, I don't want... And, and quite honestly, we don't have follow-up calls. 
if somebody declines our first time offer, we just write them off as a dead prospect because uh, my experience has been you put a first time offer, a a well-designed first time offer in front of a qualified buyer, they're going to say yes. They're going to find a way to get that $500. That's not a deal breaker. It's yeah. it's going to move them to action. Mm. Uh, the people that turn that down, we celebrate the people who don't buy it as much as we do the people who do buy it because we just assume they're not our our customer. So of those 50% that say yes to that, then we deliver the first time offer. It takes us a couple weeks, you know, two or three weeks, really depends upon the uh, individual, but there's something else in there. We found uh, every now and then we'll have somebody come through, they'll buy the offer. We know we should be able to get all that done, all that work done in three weeks. Right. Every now and then when we're in cross somebody, it takes more like two or three months to get done. Hmm. And that's one of our best indications of this is not somebody good to work with. Um, you know, so we deliver the end results and what have you, but we never, we never offer to move forward with them right. uh, because it's just the trait. It's going to be hard for us to make them successful if it takes them two or three months to do two or three weeks worth of work. Um, you know, that just kind of gets amplified out and then, Ultimately, who gets blamed? We get blamed for not delivering the results. Absolutely. But, okay. Yeah. So, but of those that the 50% that buy that, 80% move on by our core offer. 80%. Okay. Well, that's that's huge because obviously they've got wins and successes from the first time offer. It's an easy buy then because this is proven. And I wonder what they what else they've got if I paid. Uh, a, a, a good price for it. Fantastic. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's really cool about that is if, if you looked at my sales process, it would be horrifying to anybody who's a sales manager because we, we don't do, you know, we don't do all the follow-up sequences after mm. we deliver the first time offer. We send it and we say, Hey, the next step, if you want is to schedule a conversation to review the results. Right. And, quite often you know more times than not once they have this they're asking me hey what's the next steps what do we do next you know they're closing themselves that's that environment where they went by i'm not having to persuade them to the next steps perfect yeah and you know i had had somebody recently it was funny he'd forgotten that i i, w- I was recently on holiday uh, for about a week and a half. And before I went on holiday, we scheduled the follow-up call. He had forgotten about that. And he emailed me over holiday and I got it when I got back, but said, um, Hey, I got the binder. When can we talk again? <laughs> Perfect. That's the kind of thing you want to hear, right? Yeah. Perfect. Listen, I'm going to come to you in a moment for those who want to learn more from you, how they can do that. Um, for the, thank you for watching this, listening to this. Now, remember to subscribe, remember to follow, remember to like. Why do I say that? Because, as you know, the algorithm says, hey, this person liked it, it must be good. And the more people we can get to subscribe and follow, then the more they can push it out and we can bring you more awesome experts just like Craig Andrews here. So remember, like, share, comment, follow, do all of that stuff, depending on which platform you are on. So... Craig, tell me something. For those who want to learn more from you, study from you, get more information about this process of you doing it, how can they do that? Well, we have a couple gifts. 
And, you know, I kind of skipped the, you know, a lot of the uh, Genesis process. You know, when I built my first one, my first one failed. Oh, wow. My second one failed. My third first time offer failed a little bit less. Okay. And, and so, but eventually it took about 18 months. We got it working. I've put together a guide to help you avoid some of the mistakes that I've made. Right. And I've also put together a course and we're giving 23 days access to any of your listeners uh, who want this. And just so you know, the reason we do 23 days, we know human behavior. We know if you sign up for a course that has no limit, you're going to sign up for it. You're going to forget about it. You're never going to take it. We're here to change lives. We want to see your lives changed. So we put a 23 day limit on that because guess what? We watch the analytics. And when we do that, people go and use it, which mm -hmm. is our goal. Uh, so if they want to access both of those gifts, they can come to our website, which is alliesforme.com. That's A-L-L-I-E-S, the number four, M-E.com. And if they want to get the gift, just add a little slash F-T-O-2-3. That's like, yes, 2-3 for 23 days uh, access. So that's alliesforme.com slash FTO23, and they'll get both of those gifts. Superb. All right. That, that's a great, 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 great gift there. A couple of gifts there. So thank you. I really appreciate that doing that for us. And we're going to be wrapping up in a moment. Before we wrap up, any last words, anything else you want to say, Craig, that Ivan asked you about that is pertinent and very important to get across? You know, we started talking about my story through the hospital and how I you know, completely lost trust in the doctors and uh, found trust in my wife or, you know, had elevated trust in my wife. As I woke up and in the months that followed, I was really trying to figure that out. And one of the things that became apparent very quickly was I actually heard things that both my wife and the doctors were saying during my coma. And I've repeated things back to my wife word for word that she said to me while I was in my coma. Wow. And it hit me that it kind of ties into these first-time offers. It reminds me of the Amaya Angelou quote, mm. where uh, she said, people will forget what you said, they will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And the way the doctors made me feel triggered my instinct of, I don't trust you. Mm. The way my wife made me feel triggered the instinct of, I trust you a lot. Wow. And it hit me, when we're going through and delivering a first-time offer, we're changing the way people feel. That's the power. Perfect. Well, I love that. Thank you very much, Craig. And on that note, I want to say thank you all for tuning in, listening in. Remember to leave comments and also um, let us know what your thoughts are. Any questions in there, put it in the, in the box as well. So, Craig, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing time and energy and adding so much value here. Mac, thank you very much. It's been a delight. You're most welcome.